Welcome to another amazing episode of Talking Upstream, uh, the beautiful culmination of creativity and positivity. Uh, once again, we are your host. We are some nobodies. Uh, my name is Zach. This is Dylan over here. And uh, we create stuff. We make a bunch of weird stuff. You might have heard some of our shows like Silicon Angels or uh, Create Your Own Podventure, uh, possibly a podcast, podcast, a podcast show. Um, but either way, what we do is we talk to people that make stuff and create stuff and bring cool things to life. And we get their version of why they do what they do and what, you know, where their passion lies. Um, now we have uh, 43 episodes of this on our YouTube channel and obviously the podcast version. So you can go check out all those and see all the weird ideas we've come up with. And one thing that really struck out to me and Dylan uh, recently was, you know, we, we make up a lot of ideas. We make up a lot of cool concepts. And at the end of it, even off camera, we kind of fan cast our own, shows it's like oh man if we had the, mm -hmm. the the perfect casting for this and it dawned on us that we've actually never spoke to anyone in the like the casting business uh so we kind of found uh you know we we always have this tier of list that we like to it's like okay if we want to talk to a director here's the top five directors and then we get you know whoever answers our email um and we had this idea so, okay where are our top five casting directors and i asked dylan like give me your top three favorite shows or movies and the first one to respond was our number one choice. Uh, we, uh, you know, the, the, the thing that Dylan and I talk about all the time right now is Arcane on Netflix. Uh, obviously, The Incredibles, uh, Princess and the Frog. You have amazing things out there. And we just never understood how that process began. So I'm going to let Dylan uh, uh, introduce who our very special uh, guest is for this episode. So Dylan, please take it away first. How are you? I'm sorry. I'm super excited. I don't really like, <laughs> like letting you talk very much. <laughs> oh, you're fine. I don't mind not talking so much. You know how that goes. No, I'm doing I'm doing fine, Zach. How are you? Oh, dude, I'm so excited. So excited. Good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, me too. So yeah, this week, let's get into it. Uh, our guest is, her name is Jen Rudin. Uh, I believe I said that correctly. She is mm -hmm. an award-winning talent uh well, now she's a talent agent. She was an award-winning casting director. She's currently head of animation at ICM, and she does a whole lot of other stuff. So let's bring her on here. Hello. 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 Magic. Miss, yeah. <laughs> oh. Miss Rudin, how are you? I am good. It's, it's snowing in New York today, and it's March, so I'm not very happy about that. Yeah. But in general, oh. uh, life is good. Life is busy. Yeah. Yeah, it is snowing in Colorado, so mm -hmm. we have exactly <laughs> one thing in common so far. That's great. Uh, first and foremost, thank you so much for taking your time and doing this stupid little show of ours. It means so much to us, and especially when we get to talk about things that we absolutely love. Um, but quickly, do you want to just tell people like the things that you're most proud of, uh, you know, in your history? What what you would like people to sure. know? Sure. Um, yep. So I uh, grew up in New York. Uh, I'll start. I'm I'm the head of the animation and voiceover department at ICM Partners talent agency. Um, prior to joining ICM in July 2020, 
smack in the middle of the pandemic. I spent two decades as an award-winning casting director. Uh, I am the author of Confessions of a Casting Director, Help Actors Land Any Role with Secrets from Inside the Audition Room, published by HarperCollins, which also is a podcast that I did prior to coming to Disney. And I got my start in New York City as a professional child actor in the 1980s. So uh, I am um, proud to say I've been in show business for really my whole life as an actor, as a casting director, and now as an agent. And um, it still finds it to be a very exciting business to be in. No day is boring. Every day is different. Lots of highs and lows. <laughs> That is awesome. And, and like I said earlier, you know, you your name is on credit list of some of our favorite things that we've ever watched and talk about constantly. Um, but what what how does someone get into uh, you know, because you've done it for you know about two decades or whatever you said earlier? <laughs> I didn't think there was that long of a time span for you to work, but anyway, uh You're very, how, yeah. How so, you know, it's interesting. Um, the whole time I was auditioning as a child actor, I always hated the audition process. And I would look at the casting director or look at my agent and think, oh, that's probably what I'll do. I'll probably do that when I grow up because auditioning is such a stressful, stressful um, situation. You know, no one's paying you to go to the audition. You have all your hopes and dreams that you want this part so badly. And I, I would always look at the casting director and think like, they seem to have a great job because they're facilitating this very awkward situation and making us feel good. And so I also have a photographic memory, which is really good for, like I know who replaced who in what Broadway show in the 1980s in New York. Um, and it could remember, I still have a really good memory, except, you know, in the kitchen and where things go <laughs> in the dishwasher. Uh, yeah. But when it comes to business, I have a really, really uh, precise, um, focused mind that remembers and retains a lot of information, which is a great job for being a casting director or an agent. So I actually, because I was a child actor, uh, when I was in college, I interned for some casting directors. And then when I graduated college, uh, I moved back to New York. I went to the University of Wisconsin and I graduated and moved back to New York and auditioned for a couple more years, but really didn't have it in me. And so spent a year working at a talent agency, then spent two decades in casting, including seven years at the Walt Disney Company. So five years as head of casting for feature animation, thus The Incredibles, Princess and the Frog, Frank and Weenie, Chicken Little, Meet the Robinsons, etc. Two years at Disney Broadway, overseeing the casting for the domestic tours and Broadway shows for Lion King, Little Mermaid, Tarzan, High School Musical, the tour. And then from 2009 until 2020, I had my own company, Generating Casting, and I did a ton of animation casting, including Arcane, the, the just the pilot episode of Arcane, okay. um, and doing more casting for you know Disney and Amazon and Netflix. Um, there's a series that's going to come out on Netflix called Dead Endia that will drop probably around Halloween of 2022. I did that series casting and then um, came to ICM to bring animation opportunities to the existing clients. So a really exciting job and really fun. And it's been almost two years that I've been at the agency. Yeah, wow, that is that's so my life story. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. It's way more impressive than yeah. mine, which is uh, I've, I've moved to Colorado. That's my life story. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, when it comes to casting, obviously, when you're casting like, you know, something that you can see the actor, you have a little bit of clout that comes with it because it is a visual memory of something that somebody has. But when casting for animation, um, I guess my main question, the, the, the thing that I really wanted to know is how much of the project do you know? before casting uh for that like say arcane uh now i know you did just the pilot now did you know where these characters were going to go 
when trying um, to- yeah, it depends. You know, look, every project is different. And so sometimes there is a full script or a full season written. And sometimes in animation, there's just some artwork, right, that they have. And they think that the character is going to look like this. And here's a rough art sketch. And uh, the job in casting animation is to find the right voice to come out of the skull of the animal, right? And I talk about animals a lot because I was at Disney for so many years and there were so many animals. Animals Brother Bear is a good example where we had a lot of different animals to cast. Hmm. Um, a movie called The Wild that I worked on with Kiefer Sutherland and George Carlin and Eddie Izzard, that was all zoo animals, right? So I always say, what's the right voice to come out of the skull of the animal? And so when it's just animation and you don't have hair and makeup and faces, casting just becomes about the voices, right? Do, are they telling, what emotions are they conveying in their voice? And does your voice, Zach, sound too similar to Dylan? I couldn't cast you in the same show because you sound too similar. Um, or, you know, someone's a, a bass and someone's a tenor and that'll work out well. So when we're actually in the casting process, people would take an MP3 of somebody and cut to picture, as we used to say, like take like um, Alan Cumming as a client of ours, like take his voice, cut it to picture of the, of the um, I was going to say the Labrador or whatever animal and ask ourselves, is that the right voice that we think to come out of that character. So it's a very different way to do casting. It's very different. And I kind of just fell into it because Disney was looking for casting director way back in 2002 that knew theater actors. And I got the job because if you look back at some of the good old Disney movies, Lion King, Little Mermaid, it's a bunch of theater Broadway folks voicing those roles. Then it went into this whole period of you know celebrity casting and a lot of things changed. But initially it was because I knew theater actors. And, and so that's how mm -hmm. I ended up with that job. So I kind of fell into animation. I mean, of course I'm a huge animation fan now. It's been, you know, really a part of my life, but I just, it was like just a new area uh, when I got hired back then. Yeah. I absolutely love uh, when, mm -hmm. when, when you watch, when you watch an animated film and you hear that person's voice and you're like, that's it. That, that works perfectly. Uh, like for instance, um, you know, in uh, the Incredibles, you have Greg T. Nelson as mm -hmm. uh, you know, Mr. Incredible. And I think that that is probably the most perfect casting for like any, any animated character, because it, it does kind of suit the, the, the vision that you have of him, but also the emotion of I'm, tired you know i don't I, I can do it i just kind of don't want to do it anymore um now when it comes to casting certain people do, do you have is there like um a, a, a thing where it's like you want this person for this role even though it might not feel like the best so they kind of change the character for that sometimes they do you know sometimes they're really clear with who they want and sometimes the animators don't know who they want until they hear the voice which is why it's good when actors will read for those parts because it helps the animators um, they don't, you know, they're animators. They're not Hollywood guys necessarily. So, and by guys, I mean, predominantly still men, um, very much men in the, in the animation space, but, but animators are their own sort of have their own world going on. And so they may not be so as actually I'm going to stop because a lot of animators now actually do work in live action. Back in the day at Disney, it was really important to educate our animators on some actors. And, you know, you, you look at Craig T. Nelson and Holly Hunter, Holly Hunter is a client we represent at ICM. I always say to folks, if you close your eyes and you listen to Holly Hunter's performances, Mrs. Incredible, her acting is so good. It's so real. It could be live action. It's just that she's, you know, stretching mm -hmm. and, and all of that. But the acting and feature animation in that particular movie is so real that you are with them on the journey. I also want to talk about Spencer Fox, um, who plays Dash in The Incredibles. I mean, 
and he was a 10 year old kid I knew in New York who had auditioned. Mm -hmm. He's great, that authenticity, right? That's what we love about, about that movie. But th that acting is not cartoony and like, Saturday morning. It's very real and grounded. And that's, I think, why that movie still holds up. The animation now seems very, very dated when you look at the first one. But back then in 2004, when it came out, it was like cutting edge. Hey, it's, you know? it's still a beautiful, heartfelt film. So yeah. and that yeah. has a lot to do with the acting. It is it is perfect acting. Um, now, if we can hop up to something like Arcane, where you have kind of an existing product and then you have this new like reiteration of what the universe holds and you have to kind of sell a brand new product to somebody with an older associated name dylan played you know the arcane games and when the show came out he was obviously into it but now when i watched the show i didn't know anything about it and the voice acting although a lot of the, the actors i didn't know from anything uh perfectly cast is there any extra work that goes into like trying to create new property versus like big budget uh like disney films i mean look arcane those guys created the sh the the game the series they had a very clear idea of what of what sounds they needed in fact it was actually a really pleasurable experience to cast that pilot because they were so clear with who they wanted hmm. so our callbacks usually when you're doing callbacks and casting it's like tons of people and then you're trying to narrow down those guys were really narrowed down to their top choices and that's because they were so crystal clear with what they wanted and um you know that's not always the case and rarely the case in casting a lot of times you're like being very diplomatic. What does the director want? What does the producer want? What does the studio want? And trying to um, make everybody's dreams come true. And it's a hard job. It's it's really a hard job. Um, but in that situation, you know, the showrunner Christian Lank, he like he knew exactly what he wanted, and um, just took him a while to make it because animation always takes a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, so. that is a that is a gorgeous show. Mm -hmm. I know uh, it's absolutely beautiful. The 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 animation is spectacular out of um out of Paris. We also represent mm -hmm. Harry Lloyd, who's in the show, who plays Victor. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a glorious, glorious, yeah. beautiful very, animation. Yeah, something very special about that show. It's like watching uh like new uh uh beautifully painted uh like pictures mm -hmm. just moving around and fighting just having great yeah. character development uh dylan do you have any questions i i talk all the time oh that's fine no that's fine um you talked a little bit earlier about when you were casting original disney stuff there was a trend of broadway people and then celebrity people have there been any other kind of trends you see moving through casting across the last few years that might be interesting to point out or something to keep in mind or if um, terms of casting at all beyond yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody's, you know, look, I uh, we have a huge digital department at ICM. We represent a lot of Instagram, TikTok folks. And, you know, uh, I think sometimes there's a trend to to want casting directors now will want to hire people who have big followings. I always like to say just because you have a big following doesn't necessarily mean you're talented, but I'm I'm old, you know, and I care about theater. Um, I don't know, you know, it's uh every single casting project is different and working on it now at the agency where we see all these different projects being cast every single show has a different timeline different you know um ideas of what they want and so there's just no trajectory or clear path with how the casting is going to go um and most of the time you know you don't it's like you don't know until somebody walks in the room it used to be like somebody would walk in the room and go oh my god that's it that's the star and it's the same thing with the voices you don't know who's going to work until you really hear it 
Um, one of the new trends that I've seen, you know, especially because of how the Mandalorian took off and things in Star Wars is the idea and, and Marvel too, is the idea of like de-aging and kind of changing uh, the age of certain actors. Does that uh, change at all when casting, knowing that you could have an older director that you can digitally make younger just to get the performance? Does that like how does that impact casting at all? Um, I don't quite know what the question is. I do know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, we try like certainly at Disney, we had a situation with Meet the Robinsons where the boys voices, they were cast at age 11, but they were 14 by the time the movie was going to be done. And so we had to we tried to play around with like making their voice sound younger. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, the hope is that you're not going to do your production recording with kids until you're far along and your script is really locked. Um, that was one thing that was always a challenge was real kids casting and animation because the girls were, you know, boys voices as soon as I could see that they're shoe size is getting longer i'm like oh they're growing i'm gonna have to replace them um but thankfully you know i'm not a cast director anymore so i don't have to worry about that as much yeah yeah I, I think i if i could reiterate maybe like the impact of potential like if, a, if someone's playing a cgi character or if someone is playing a character that is cast at a certain age or is written to a certain age, but you wanted to get an older actor who could be de-aged. Is that ever taken into account in any way? Or does the technology not really affect those decisions? And, or is that something that they directly plan for? Gee, I don't know. Okay. Um, something along the lines of, um, oh man, who's been de-aged? Like any of the any of the m large Marvel movies where they de-aged Kirk Douglas or something, or Michael right. Douglas or something like that. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I know like certainly like the hair and makeup, it's like, you know, that's a huge, and mocap, motion capture, it's a whole other, it's gotcha. a whole other area where they can really, you know, make those, do what they need to do to, to make somebody older or younger looking, which is really a gift and a skill. Um, what, one thing that I was always curious about in television, I know that say they write a, a season or whatever, and then depending on how the audience responds to it, uh, different characters get rewritten or get put into things or, or taken out of things, depending on fan reaction. Um, as, uh, as a casting director, are you then kind of, do, do you have like, um, uh, like insight on how the production is going or once like the job of that is done, you're kind of hands off until something else. You know, usually by the time the actor is cast and contracted, you're really hoping that they don't contact you unless there's some issue. Um, somebody needs to be replaced for some reason. Uh, a child outgrows the role on Broadway. We used to have all that happen at Disney where the kids would get too, too tall to be young Simba and Lion King and we'd have to find mm -hmm. new ones. Um, but in general, it's sort of like once you're done with your casting job, it's off to the races with everybody else and you hope to see everybody at the premiere party that's that's the goal that's the hope now if, if we can hop over to awards you actually won outstanding achievement in casting in 2010 with the casting society of america um for princess and a frog now i took my daughter to see princess and a frog and that became her favorite movie. Oh, she was, that's she was great. Eight, yeah she was eight years old when she watched it and uh it was so cool for her to see like that style of of you know people that style of princess um that style of drawing what what was that 
production oh. like having just like because you're kind of creating a new disney princess so absolutely there has to be there's difficulties in that would you mind talking about that yeah so i'm really proud of the princess and the frog and i actually have an entire chapter in confessions of a casting director about animation and i focus on the casting process for the princess and the frog so it's such a nice story because uh, a lot of times at disney there was stuff in development right there's a piece of artwork that would be up on the third floor and it was like too soon to even think about the casting and what's nice about that story is that um at the time, Anika Noni Rose, who voiced Princess Tiana, so she won the Tony Award for Carolina Change, uh, a beautiful Tony Kushner, Janine Tesori musical in New York. And she was in LA playing the, playing the role. And she came to Disney and we had a meeting um, as you did back in the days. And I said to her, listen, if we ever have a princess, you know, you are the right voice for it. And cut to a couple months later, as she had wrapped the Dreamgirls movie, um, she came to audition and we had some artwork and we knew that Princess Tiana was in New Orleans in the 1920s and we needed to find um, somebody to voice the role who could believably sound like a teenager and also New Orleans and also sing. And so she came in and she sang beautifully and she has an MFA from ACT and her acting was incredible. And I personally knew deep down that she was the right person for the role. But when you're a casting director, you can't shove your opinion at people because they won't listen. And you can't be like, you have to hire her because you want to work together. And the job in casting was always to make the directors feel as if you've presented the choices, like a bartender, here are the choices and they can choose who they want. So I knew she was the best one for the role. Meantime, Alicia Keys uh, auditioned and um, uh, Jennifer, Hudson ended up being the one that won all the awards when Dreamgirls came out. So she auditioned and Tyra Banks auditioned and Macy Gray came and um, and everybody wanted to be, obviously it was historic to have Disney's first African-American princess, a really fantastic, you know, uh, life-changing opportunity. So we um, also went to New Orleans to try to find somebody there. We actually found the, the kids for the two, for Charlotte and Princess Tiana were two little girls from New Orleans, but we didn't find, you know, the actress. And then the color purple was on Broadway. And so Fantasia was in the role and her um, understudy standby Montego Glover went on. And so she was in the mix. So we just didn't know who was gonna get the part. And at the end of the day, seven months later from the day she auditioned, Anika got the part. And um, it was really exciting because I knew deep down at two in the morning when I would wake up that she was the right one, but we sort of had to go, you have to really scour and turn over every leaf and, you know, see who's the right voice. And still to this day, you know, uh, there's a photo in my book of, of, of Anika and I at the opening, you know, the premiere in LA. It's like, that's a, that's a great casting story because at the end of the day, the person who was most qualified in my mind got the part. And um, I hear they're doing a TV series at Disney. So hopefully they are. And, um, you know, it was, I was proud of that movie. I was really proud to um, be recognized by the Casting Society of America. I also won for Chicken Little, but that one doesn't have as much sort of, you know, my heart was in all those movies, but certainly Princess and the Frog was, yeah. was really special. Oh, yeah. And also may I add that it was Disney's return to hand-drawn traditional animation and mm -hmm. the movie musical. So yeah. we had been down the road with computer generated stuff. And then this was an opportunity to finally go back to sort of to what I felt Disney did best at the time, which was the hand-drawn classic Disney princess. Um, so it's, it's, thanks. I'm, I'm glad that your daughter enjoyed it and, um, 
that it made an impact on her. Oh, so much so. Yeah. I mean, me as a cinephile, I grew up, you know, working in the movie business or industry and, uh, you know, working at like cinemas and everything else. And when that movie came out, it was such a big deal for, for my small group. And, you know, like I said, I took my daughter to it. It really sculpted uh, how she went off. That's great. And I was actually about to speak on Chicken Little because, uh, you know, uh, Zach Braff at, at the time was such a big uh, like a big deal actor 2005 as like scrubs were, was huge um now looking for the voice of kind of a loved character which doesn't really have a voice um how did you get down to zach braff yeah it's funny because zach and i are actually ch childhood friends we went to theater camp together and staged our manor so it was interesting when like all the the, the guys were coming into audition because it was like oh hey zach you know like we've known each other since <laughs> we were 12. um yeah i mean he was like he was he got it you know he auditioned he was funny he sounded he, his natural voice was up higher um, and he sounded young. And, you know, that was kind of like a vote almost of like, who's, who's the voice. And um, every time, you know, Zach, Zach, like I remember when, when Chicken Little opened, it had a, a fairly decent opening and I called him and, um, you know, he was like dating Mandy Moore at the time or something. And it was like, I called him, I'm like, hey, congrats, great box office. And he was like, yeah. And, you know, how are you? And we've just caught up socially and, and uh, every time I see Zach, it's always really nice because, you know, it's just like a sweet moment in our friendship um, that he ended up with that part. But yeah, I mean, that was just, you know, funny guys, right? Who, you know, I, can, I can't name who else came in, but just like, you know, who, who's the right voice there for, for that um, sort of, I don't want to say neurotic, that's not the right word for Chicken Little, but, you know, like quirky, no, quirky, close, quirky, yeah. quirky Chicken Little. Yeah. Um, now, with, with with titles under your belt, you know, like, like Chicken Little, Prince and the Frog, even, you know, Meet the Robinsons, uh, even Rock Dog, which I'm cool. Mm. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I love um, that one, too. I love Rock Dog. Uh, what, what kind of movie do you watch? What's your favorite? I mean, look, I watch everything and I try to watch everything our ICM clients are in, whether it's one episode. So we have, you know, um, Alexis Floyd, Anna Klumski, Laverne Cox in Inventing Anna on Netflix. Right. So I'm going to watch that mm -hmm. first. And then, you know, I I am such a TV person. I mean, I grew up in the 80s watching TV and it's my joy now. So I got to check out everything and then sort of make decisions on what I want to watch. Right. So in my house, I've got things that I'm doing on my own, things I watch with my husband. I've got animation that I try to watch sort of at lunchtime. Um, I try to, as much as I love animation, I try on the weekends to not not be watching animation to just clear my mind a little bit and watch, you know, uh, scripted shows. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty like, you, you take a couple minutes in, I know whether or not I care about these characters. And I would say too, it's like, we, you either care or you don't, you're either invested or you're not. So, um, I mean, look at the moment, I'm like, what am I doing in my late night to unwind? I'm, I'm in private practice season five, you know, is that something that like, <laughs> well, we represent Tay Diggs. So I'm always happy sure. to see our clients Ooh. on the show and Benjamin Brad is our client as well. But Ooh. you know, like Ooh, that right. stuff I like to watch. I, I just, I'm sort of more like half hour comedies rather than dark dramas. It's just my nature. So, um, but yeah. Tay Diggs and Benjamin Bratt. What? Yep. That's, a, that's a sexy clientele list right there. <laughs> Those are uh, two of my, yeah, two oof, of our clients. Yeah. I, I would have their posters on my wall. <laughs> uh, okay. So one of, one of the, the, the last awards you were nominated for was Outstanding Achievement in Casting for a short film uh, called Lucy in the Sky. And doing a little bit of research, you actually wrote that. I now, did, yes. When, when trying to cast for 
a character that you created. How does, is that different than just having one that you have somebody else's ideas for, or how did that go? Um, yeah. So I was nominated for rock dog in 2018 and it's, it's sort of a secret. I, I, I did go to grad school in my forties. I got an, an MFA in dramatic writing at NYU. And it's very interesting because, um, I actually use my MFA in dramatic writing all the time at my job at ICM because I'm sort of looking at people's pitch decks for mm -hmm. animation projects. So it actually did come in handy. And so Lucy in the Sky, thank you. That's sweet that you did so much research was actually, uh, I won a Sloan writing award. I won a grant from the Sloan Foundation because it was a script about a girl on the autism spectrum and new research that they were doing to try to um, try out some different medications mm -hmm. for her. And so it was part of a full pilot that I'd written. And then we just took some of the Sloan grant money and we made a short film, Whoopi Goldberg was in it. Um, and, uh, and made a short film that I, and then I got nominated for casting my own short film. So I was also the executive producer. I was also the, it was kind of an exhausting, uh, Good. process. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, it was, it was very, um, I was very proud of that movie. A lot of, um, diversity casting that, um, you know, the casting directors were, were proponents of diversity casting long before it became, you know, actually part of the world that we live in. So thanks. Thanks for that. Lucy was a, it was a, a great project that, um, yeah, it, it took me a little bit of time to find it. I did watch it. Uh, it is, oh. it, it, it's a beautiful, it, it's got a lot of heart to it for an 11 minute short. Uh, Thank there's you. a lot of heart to it. Unfortunately, there is a Natalie Portman movie, uh, with yes. the same name. Yes. And oh. I'm like, Oh my God, she wrote just, no, wait, no, no, that's not it. That's not it. Um, now I know that there was talks in taking Lucy in the sky and, like making it uh, maybe into like a like a web series or like a series itself. Is there any yeah. more development? Nothing's really happened. You know, I wear many hats. I um I think the next book I want to write will be called Everything Is Animated because it's sort of just like everything is animated after mm -hmm. during COVID in COVID before COVID. Um, but we'll see about Lucy in the Sky. You know, it's it's um it's definitely you know at this point I would just be an executive producer on it and let somebody else do the show running because I love my job here. But um but yeah, you know it's uh fundraising for your own movie. I, I learned so much. I, I never want to do that again. I certainly never <laughs> want to have a movie filmed in my own house because that was definitely something um, that I, my husband, and I would never, I mean, we just did it because we have a big home in Harlem, but I was like, never again, cannot have that be happening in our house. It's too much stress. Yeah. So. Yeah, great, yeah, great job! Congratulations! Thanks. I mean, your your whole work when when I looked on the IMDb page uh, and just saw everything like this name after name, I'm like, wow, yeah, Miss Rudin is just into everything, and it's so so pretty. Um, and you you are married to someone that is also kind of in the business, right? They're an editor of uh, of like Dateline, is that correct? Yep. Mm -hmm. And my yeah. husband's an award winning Peabody and uh, multiple Emmy award winning editor for Dateline, which is like a hugely popular show with just a huge fan. Base. And it's funny whenever we meet people it's like people be oh dateline oh my god you know i love it um we also yeah. you know he's an avid cyclist i've got a half marathon on march 20th so we're just like very you know um i also you know uh represent tunde oyanane the elite peloton instructor she's oh, yeah. with us at icm she's no oh no no oh, oh no <laughs> All right, well, we lost we lost Miss Rudin. Hopefully, she'll be back. Uh, oh, we had literally one more question, Damn. which was the big question. Uh, all right, well, we're just gonna waste a little bit of time here and see if she comes back. Uh, but wow, what a great interview! What a good, I, oh, there she is. 
I was um sorry about that. I was talking about Tunde, my Peloton instructor client. Yeah. Who, funny enough, I'm on my Peloton. Um, I am on my Peloton. It's like April 2020, and I'm like, wow. Or maybe it was September 2020. Tunde's got this amazing voice. I'd love to see if she has a voice of rage. And so I reached out, not on Instagram, but I reached out to her manager, and she um, came over to ICM in October 2020. And since then, um, we did this incredible deal with her for Nike. She has a book coming out on May 3rd called Speak um, that is phenomenal, perfect gift for Mother's Day, for graduation. Um, and she is just an amazing woman. So talking about being athletic and balanced, so I've got the Peloton, we're yeah. cyclists, we're runners in this this house. Um, it's we're we're very busy. <laughs> so Sounds busy. like it. That, yeah, that's so that's so cool that you could be somewhere and just hear a voice and just say, I want that voice. Yeah. Well, I think I, it's about, you know, that. for me, I have a really my ear is very attuned to listening, mm -hmm. right? So I used to, when I was cash manager, I would be like at a you know hotel or something with my husband and there'd be some like 10 year old kid at the table and i'd be like oh my god he's got this great voice and you know and then he my husband would be like jen don't you know that's don't be weird and i'm like no but that sound you know and and i still have it you know i'm very attuned and when you hear texture like tunde that texture that you hear when she's leading those rides i mean that's her voice it's this incredible presence and so some people have it or don't and it, i don't think it's something you can make up you either have a great interesting voice or you or you don't have one and so yeah. and, you know and dylan definitely does not i have <laughs> dylan does not he has the good I do eyes not, and i agree with that <laughs> which is great uh okay so we're not going to take up any more of your time we obviously you're very very busy you got to hop on that peloton and work on your marathon I got uh, my so marathon, and if this comes out on March 20th, I want everybody, it's the United Airlines half marathon in New York. Um, I hope that anybody wants to come to Central Park and find me at the finish line. I'm very excited. I also want to say I raised money for Team for Kids, which is an organization through the New York Roadrunners Club that provides um, money for people to teachers and gym teachers to encourage kids and have programming to get them to run and move and love mm -hmm. their bodies. And so it's just like, what a great cause. I had to raise exactly it's a 13.1 mile race there 1300 and hopefully mm -hmm. if i do the marathon and uh the full marathon in november that's you know there'll be 2600 dollars for the 26 miles so we'll see uh, see how this first one goes right on well, yeah we will officially be rooting for you and we will shout <laughs> it from every platform that we have <laughs> thank uh, you yes, if you're watching us on the 20th most likely miss rudin has won a marathon and uh she's celebrating well, you uh, can look at rudin j is my instagram handle so hopefully i'll post some pictures uh afterwards and i'm hoping i'll be holding a medal and it won't be snowing that's my yeah. only <laughs> and uh we'll actually we'll actually post a link to your instagram in our show notes for this oh, that cool. way, if they are watching us or listening to this they'll be able to go see uh <laughs> that, that real sweaty uh but excited after the marathon shot okay so we're going to get down to what we do on this show and, and like i told you earlier what we do is uh dylan and, I'm, and myself will both pitch to you an original idea that we've come up with and then you choose which of the two that you think is worth our time working on um, okay okay so the one that i pitched uh last week which did not win and i'm gonna carry it over i had this idea for somebody that's like kind of walking around in the woods and out of nowhere they start feeling that they have kind of like a like, like a secret power they become like kind of stronger and it turns out that there's like a hole uh around them and when they look in this hole there is like an alien or like a creature or something that just in proximity gives humans a, a power some kind of power either like strength or floating or something and then they have to figure out what to do because it's only in proximity of that creature um or alien don't know yet 
but I, I think that that's worth kind of uh, exploring, thinking like, do you carry this thing around with you? Just do you have a power? Do you do you find out what part it is or whatever? Uh, so yeah, so uh, finding a special power <laughs> in a hole somewhere. I think that's what I would like to work <laughs> on. I don't have a name for it yet. Uh, whatever. Okay, <laughs> uh, Dylan, your <laughs> turn. All right. <laughs> So I always really like the idea of something collectively happening to humanity as a whole and everybody experiencing it at the same time and seeing how you can interpret that. So I had the idea where what if everybody on Earth one night or I guess it's not night because it would be around the planet, but at some point everyone has the same vision of maybe from the point of view of someone pointing at a day and somehow knowing that day is like the day that the world is going to end or change or it's going to be a day that they can prevent some sort of major catastrophe from, from occurring it's like a 30 second from the point of view of someone and they just see that a specific day and like it has to be soon enough that it's you can't super plan for it but far enough out that it's not immediate so like in six months from now everybody so knows like that september 9th 2022 is going to be the day that the world either ends or is saved by something. And there's no so, context to it, but everybody experiences. So everyone time. has like a, like a collective dream kind of, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Cool. Either waking dream or sleeping dream. And then okay. how that affects people moving forward. And we would have, we would have our characters and stuff, but that's the concept. Yeah. yeah that's cool. Okay. Okay, so Miss <laughs> Rudin, uh, monster in a well or a hole that gives you special powers and you got to deal with it, or uh, one day everyone has a collective dream that lets them know that a one specific day in the future something crazy is going to happen and how they deal with that. Um, I cool. think I think I would probably do the monster in the hole thing just because it seems like you could really like set up your show to have different things happening and different like adventures um, as they're trying to figure out what to do with this power or who's going to see the power or, you know, yeah. you know, maybe somebody doesn't like to have that power. Um, I think, Dylan, your idea is very cool because it's, it's so very it's very meta. Right very meta but i feel like day-to-day -day on a tv show probably zach's is just right. got like a little bit more um yep. up and go and get stories rolling so and honestly i 100 agree with you and you're <laughs> so you are right well um, anyway <laughs> jen rudin thank you so so much for taking mm -hmm. any time whatsoever and talking to us uh we love uh how your brain works we love the body of work that you've done and we love the point of view that you're trying to instill in other people and that's super super great so uh we really applaud that thank you thank you thank you thank you um, other than your instagram which we will have in the show notes is there anything you would like to tell people to go watch or listen to or anything um i mean i think look if you're interested in animation and voiceover you can check out you know, I can't do my podcast anymore now that I'm an agent, but there's at least 25 episodes of Confessions of a Casting Director podcast um, with a lot of fun and, and insightful stuff about voiceover and animation. I would also say, like, anybody that wants to pick up Confessions of a Casting Director, the book, um, it's just so much great information about auditioning. And, and there's chapters on musical theater and commercials and, you know, Twitter. And um, my favorite chapter, which is, you know, well, one of them is don't call us, we'll call, don't call us, don't tweet us, we'll tweet you, which is about technology. And then another chapter I love, which is just like New York versus LA, freeways versus subways, which really explains how different these two places are and how you can't spend your time comparing New York and LA and each city is wonderful and scary and frightening and challenging at the same time, but, but both are great places. So Confessions of a Casting Director, the book, the podcast, I would say, and um, certainly you can follow me at Rudin J. My 
Instagram is really pictures of Central Park jogging and our clients, you know, doing stuff. So it's not, it's not, I don't do a ton, but I try to keep it really positive and, no. and you know, pretty with, with the park. That's perfect. Uh, we will put links to all that stuff below. And uh, once again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Great. Um, and yeah, have a great rest of your day. Thank thanks. You. We're going to work on this weird project. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Wow, that was awesome. Oh, good interview. Good yeah, stuff. Really good job. I tell you, you asked one question, but it was probably the most eloquent, best question that could have been asked. And uh, I, I appreciate that. Uh, but you, you, what I honestly <laughs> will thank you for is reiterating that. I think I talked for like five minutes and didn't ask a question. She's like, yeah, it's all right. I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I mean, I was curious about like de-aging people's faces and yeah. what it means. Anything. But I guess it comes into the story. Like, do you need yeah. to be old? Whatever. Okay. Like so uh, that's something beyond just ca like, if you're going to have a character who's already appeared in something show up younger, it's like, well, it's going to be played by. Yeah. I mean, well, that yeah, person de-aged or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, why why would you have an older character playing a younger character unless they needed to be older eventually, mm -hmm. I guess? Or they have yeah. yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay, so Jen Rudin picked my idea, which is yes. uh, very, very smart of her, which is good. Sure. Uh now we're gonna get into uh monster body in a well that gives powers in its proximity. I think yes. that's a cool idea. Um so yeah, so let, let's kind of work on this for a little bit. Uh yeah. Dylan, if you have like a doc you want to bring up, uh so we can start working on this since yeah. we don't have we no longer have uh the the, the marker board behind yeah us. the yeah, whiteboard's the, on vacation it, i tell you it it didn't uh <laughs> it turns out pod tv owned that marker board and uh we, we could not get a <laughs> we could not get a contract uh rewritten for that thing so well we didn't uh, have contracts originally so there was well apparently the marker board did and that, uh, that, <laughs> that yeah. Jeez, that's where we went wrong facts. the marker board had more compliments than anything else that we did and we're like i like the marker board I'm like whatever um all right so all right, we're going to work on this thing. Um, now, I like the idea of a person just finding this power. Uh, yeah. How do you think uh, – so I guess the beginning doesn't really matter. This is a person walking in the woods. Um, now, what what do you think is a way that we can show this person gaining a power? Like what, what is an easy way – say you're walking around and you just get a power. Like how, how do you think that power would manifest itself? Well, I think we need to figure out what power this creature gives. Yeah. Because I think if we can definitely kind of target it towards something that has either like a physical appearance based change or some other method of like alerting the viewer that it's happening. Um, yeah. Now, were you seeing it giving people like Superman style, like super strength, like flying brick powers? Or what were you, well, that, what were you yeah, feeling? That's, that's kind of what I thought at first was that it would give. It, it would give like a, like a select amount of powers because I think that the, the funny thing that I have in this is say that you, you get something that gives you the ability to be Superman. Yeah. Now for you to do anything, you have to be in proximity of somebody else who all of a sudden would just get the powers of Superman too. So I like that. So let's just say for sake of argument right now, we'll, we'll stick to Superman powers, which okay. is pretty much everything. Sure. Um, but yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't know that because there has to be a montage of you trying power similar to Shazam but funnier than in the woods. Um, it, it could be. So I would assume. Them, oh, good. Well, if we want them to discover they have like something weird is going on, they could fall into the hole and then start hovering, and be like, and then, oh, and then they look down and they're like, "What the hell is that? What yeah. the hell am I doing?" 
So what what if uh, I like that idea? Now what if they have maybe a power right before that that maybe freaks them out um and makes them run so they fall into the hole. You know, like yeah. I was thinking like um so say they have like that I guess depending on the proximity of this monster the powers start forming themselves, right? So uh in in the biggest ring around you would just maybe obtain strength. Okay. So like as you're walking you're like maybe touching things and you grab something and you just like shatter a tree and you're like what what is that right and i was trying to think of a way to give yourself kind of a scare because i guess my my initial thought was like okay so you smash this tree and you're like what's going on here you know then you maybe you can like you get super hearing and you hear something from not too far away or super sight, something that would make you get kind of scared and trip and fall into that hole. And I like the hover idea. Um, I, I like the idea of them somehow getting super senses and getting kind of like, getting a little like sensory overload. Yeah. And that's a good, that's a good way to get someone running. Yeah. 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 True. Cause they're freaking out. They're like, I got, I got to get back to wherever my car is or whatever. Yeah. Cause I'm probably tripping. <laughs> does, tripping. does it give, specific powers or does it simply enhance the human body that we write off as giving powers better hearing better strength better taste. and then as you get closer <laughs> it starts as you get closer to the body it starts giving you more fantastical stuff like flight yeah that, that, i think that's fair okay so closer someone gets to the monster body the more Enhance, and I'm using quotation marks. Yeah, yeah, because like at um, first you're like you're like a little bit stronger. Your hearing's better. Your sight's better. And then when you get close, you're like, I think I might be able to fly. <laughs> yeah, as you get closer, then, yeah, they become more fantastic. Yeah, I'm into that. I think that's cool. Um, and then at some point they got to figure out that it is in proximity of this hole, right? Which means most likely they're going to run away first, and the powers kind of stop. And it would make them kind of want to go back into that area to see, or we could do something like that. I, I like the idea of them stumbling onto it. Yeah. Thinking something weird is going on, turning around and like going to a doctor, something makes them go back. And as they get closer to the source of it, maybe they drop their bag or something. They either. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like that better than someone being like, you should go back and take a look. Yeah. But, Cause I'm um, like, no, <laughs> If they're not in control of their powers and they're like walking towards the creature, their strength could be getting more where they are like moving faster and they're like, yeah. whoa. And they, and that's how they kind of like trip and stumble into the hole. Yeah, itself. that's cool. They actually run past the, the backpack. They could see it, but the closer they get, the faster yeah. they're walking and they'll run past it and they go, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Uh, okay. So, um, I'm just, so I'm just, so I'm just taking notes right now. Um, yeah, but make sure we take good notes so that we go back and we're yes. like, I wonder what this meant. Why are they in Machu Picchu? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Someone walking in the woods notices their senses are getting stronger. They yep. turn around and go see a doctor dropping their bag in the process. Everything seems fine. Mm -hmm. They go back to the woods to find their bag. Yeah. Um, as they get closer, they notice their senses getting uh stronger then they start running faster because they can't control the super speed yet 
Yeah. 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 I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, uh, they that, that... or somehow st- or somehow stumble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, the they're freaking out. They're in the sensory overload. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then they hover over this monster body, monster slash alien body. Yeah. Okay. So, what would you do if you fall into a hole hovering over top of a monster body? Uh, I mean, I would, I would do, you know, you kind of like superhero experimentation stuff where you test the limits of it. Right. So, and do you I think? Would it, start, well, and then think, I would start testing. Oh, sorry. Once I once I kind of realized what was going on, I would see if taking only a piece of the body with me allowed me to carry the powers with me. See, that's kind of what I was thinking. So at first, like when you hover, you would probably either slowly sink down or fly out, which would make you probably test the hole itself, right? Like yeah. jumping over the hole, flying over the hole. And then you're going to think like, oh, I have powers. So mm-hmm. you're going to fly away, except once you hit the right radius, you just fall. Yeah. So then you realize it's got something to do with the hole or that thing. Yeah. So you I, take I like, the thing <laughs> yeah. and you wear it like a backpack. Okay. <clears throat> Does taking the body with you bring the powers along? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah, it does. <laughs> does chopping a piece off and taking the piece with you bring the powers along? Yeah, I think I think that's that's the majority of the second act of this is kind of. so if, if they think, OK, this this body gives me powers. Mm-hmm. So they're super fast or super strong, which means they can run around people with this body on, you know, mm-hmm. just wearing it like a backpack. But at some point, they'd be like, I don't want to carry this body with me. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got to find out head? what this is. Right. Is it the head? Is it the the, mm-hmm. the heart or whatever? Um and I guess we're going to need some kind of problems that are going to happen here. Yeah. Now, I would assume that he's going to want to do bad stuff first. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of I think a lot of people become like a, a hero. Let's say this person is going to become a villain. Because I like the idea of maybe them trying to rob a bank. Um, but since everyone else has powers, nothing happens. You know, like, he's like, oh, well, I'm super strong and super fast. I'll just go rob this bank. But because everyone has it technically no one has it yeah well they're all they're all able to do the same things he can right which causes confusion but then he realizes i can't make a move because now i am outnumbered on a super level right okay so so, yeah and then also i kind of had this idea as we were speaking that there is a superhero that wants to do good but needs to just stay around this person you know, because this is a this is a world where this is a superhero setting. Well, no. Oh, okay. but once but once somebody sees that this person has powers, okay, and then maybe the maybe somebody in the bank they realize, hey, when this person was around, I was like real strong. <laughs> maybe I yeah. should carry this person with me as I have powers. <laughs> yeah. Or, or they're the only one to really notice that the guy's backpack is not a backpack, but something weird. And yeah. so they deduce the power radius thing and find the main character and are like, hey, give me a piece of that or I'm going to tell everybody what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and we can even have like a scene. I, I almost like the idea of like people that are looking for this 
Hmm. And if they know huh. that this person has this somewhere, they just go like outside of house to house, just jumping to see <laughs> like, is this, is this the house that gives me powers? You know? Yeah. Um, uh, team of people hunting down the body and just seeing if they randomly gain powers when outside townhouses. Yeah. All right. So we don't want to get too much into this because we're probably going to save this idea for one of our twitching up streams. Um, So what do you think a, a, a good ending for something like this would be like, if we had to get to the end, um, uh, well, I think it's important to figure out the nature of the bot, the monster, to know where we should take this. Is it an uh, alien? Is it a genetic experiment? Is it uh, well, extra dimensional? Like, I, I, I don't know that. Go- I don't know that an ending is. I don't. I don't know that I can think of an ending without knowing what this thing is. I, I'm not sure if on that, some level. I'm not sure if that fully matters. Like, all right, say me and you were walking around the woods and we found this weird body in a hole that gave us powers Mm -hmm. what would we do like we're not going to do research to find out where this thing came from we wouldn't know if it's an alien unless we turn it in and if we turn it in we would lose our powers yeah so i think a lot of the experience at least like well yeah 100 percent. i'd be curious too maybe we start like a like our own 4chan uh trying to figure out like what it is um but most of it i think is figuring out what part of the body gives the power and then that person realizing that even though they have this power, like it doesn't really do anything for them because it gives everybody else the same power when they're around. Um, I mean, unless you fly when you have it on as a backpack. So that's kind of neat. That is pretty, that is pretty <laughs> dope. Um, and I guess if we wanted to go mm. horror ending, it would be somebody thinking that that person is the power. And then them killing that person, trying to find out what part of the person gives the power. But they would obviously see that it's the backpack, so it doesn't really. I don't. Because yeah, I are, don't. Say, I, say, like you're you're super strong. You could throw mm-hmm. that thing into space. Yeah. So then you could get rid of it before anything else happened. Yeah. So um, I, I'm seeing a, some sort of horror thing where it becomes like grafted onto someone and starts changing them. Oh, like he doesn't want anybody changing to... them. Yeah, right. he doesn't want anybody to steal it, so he like maybe puts it on his skin. Well, I was thinking more like this thing is some sort of parasite, and it eventually turns you into something that also gives power. It turns you into one of it. Hmm, I like that. Um, I think that there is maybe a couple cool scenes we could put in before in between that. Like, say say it's not a parasite. But once it's inside of you, it, it will mm-hmm. take over, right? So say that at first he's like, I don't want anybody to steal this from me. So maybe they kind of like put it on, like they tape it to their back or something so yeah. that it's not easily. And then maybe they know that they're going to get arrested for something. Mm. So maybe they put whatever piece it is inside of their body. They like eat it, they eat part of it. Or a prison purse. Or <laughs> they, they cut open their their back and slide it in there and sew it up um but either way they're like okay if i go into prison or, i'll have this power you know it just starts bonding with him like okay it, cool like he, he like tries to he's got it on as a backpack for a long time and he reaches to try and take the arm off and he looks and it's like and you got the strands oh, in between right, cool. and he's like oh and then he realizes the entire it is gr- like on its on his back yeah all right that's cool i'm into that that actually saves a lot of 
weird writing. But I think that's a cool place to to stop for right here. So we have this thing that's going to be grafted onto a person, and then we got to figure out how to get it off while yeah. they have these powers and whatever, whatever. So yeah. I think that's a, a really cool thing for us to work on for our Twitching Up Stream show. Yeah. Um, so if you want to see those things, obviously we do those live every Tuesday on Twitch and YouTube and Facebook and all that other cool stuff. Um, want to give a, a sincere uh, shout out to Jen Rudin for being such a cool guest and oh, yeah. uh, talking a lot about some amazing projects. That yeah. was uh, really, really great. Um, want to thank all of our, you know, all of our friends who who help keep the show going. You got uh, Jess Newman. You got Sarah Tkachik. You got Tonya Sheck, our East Coast friends. Uh, you got, you know, some other people that keep us moving, like Mr. Michael Colby and all the fun that he gives us on uh, Facebook Messenger um, and our, our one email. I don't know why I keep sending that email in. It's weird. Um, but also, you know, thanks to Jeff Waskin and uh, Scott Curtis for Behind the Bits. Uh, thank you to my best friend, Dylan, for putting up with uh, my perfect voice. Uh, it's got to be hard for him. It's, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh if you want to help us out some more you can always go over to patreon check that out uh where dylan gives me uh ideas to draw for people in pen, uh, crayon and then i draw for them uh with his descriptions uh we're gonna start putting some weird stuff up on patreon so please go check it out um if you want to see anything else open up whatever you got and type in some nobodies i bet yeah. you you'll find something that we did um but until next time, folks, Dylan, you got anything to say, friend? No. Love it, buddy. I love it. Uh, all right, everybody, drink some water. Uh, until next time, I have been Zach. He has been Dylan. And you've been great. Have a great day. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.